You may be seated. Hey, welcome to Redeemer City Church. It is an honor to worship with you on this Easter Sunday. Are you happy to be in church today? Amen. Listen, that was awesome. We could do that again. Man, if you are a guest of ours today, let me say a special welcome to you as well. Uh, My name is Mitch. I have the joy of being one of the pastors here at Redeemer City Church. And uh, what an amazing thing the church is, isn't it? It's awesome. And, uh, you know, as you think about that and as as we consider the resurrection, uh, the resurrection is all about freedom. It's all about freedom. And whether you sit in here today and you are... Uh, unsure about the reality of God, if you aren't sure that there is a God, or if you've been all in flying the Jesus flag for 30, 40, 50 years, every single one of us are on a spiritual journey. Every single one of us, no matter what you struggle with, no matter where you're at in life, no matter who you are, Or maybe you're sitting here today and you're not sure who you are. You're struggling with your identity. Wherever you are, every single one of us is on that journey. We're we're on this journey to find freedom. If you want to know about Redeemer City Church, we're a church that really desires, and it's really why we exist, is for you to find freedom. Our church exists to share the liberating power of the gospel. The gospel is literally, the word translates, good news. Good news. You you understand the bad news just by nature of who you are. If you and I get honest with each other, we we recognize that uh, there's something in this life that we need and we can't quite grasp. And the only difference between those of us who have uh, bowed the knee to Christ, who have confessed Christ as Lord and who lift our hands in singing, the only difference between us and the one who has not confessed Christ is just simply our recognition that we need Jesus. And we're all searching. You know, the the name Christ isn't just Jesus' last name. (laughs) I think I thought that till I was like in like ninth grade and somebody was like, it's not his last name, dude. It's like, oh, awesome. Just open up new worlds for me. All right. But the, the name Christ literally means anointed one, anointed one. And, and, and what was he anointed for? He was anointed by his own confession in Luke chapter four to come and set people free. And so wherever you are right now in this moment, you made it to church. I don't think there's a better place you could be. And I'm slightly biased. I don't think there's a better church you could be at. But you deal with that for next week. All right? But I'm all in here. And that's what they that's what they tell me to say. That's not true. But as you think about that, Christ was anointed by God the Father. He sent His Son. You know, Good Friday was all about Him breaking the bondage. That's over your life. Breaking the bondage that's over our life. One of the beauties of the gospel is that God is creating 
a people. That it's one thing that you will spend eternity in heaven, but there's so much now that the gospel brings to you, that the good news that Jesus didn't just die on the cross for your sins, but that he was uh, borrowing that tomb, and we say borrowed that tomb, and we sing borrowed that tomb, because what Jesus said to that thief on the cross that was hanging next to him, so Jesus is crucified, and there was a, a robber on his left and a thief on his right, and what he said to one of those thieves is, today you will be with me. In paradise, let's take a quiz. Did that thief do anything to deserve to be in paradise with God that day? The answer is no. And so no matter where you are or what you're struggling with, I want you to know that in this moment you can find freedom in Christ. doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter what you're planning to do. There's freedom for you in Christ. You are made in the image of God. What an amazing thing. We, we do a thing here at Redeemer City Church called Growth Track. And it's really just designed for you to meet our church, but then to discover who you are, who God's created you to be. I love the scripture in Ephesians chapter 2 that says you are God's workmanship. Some translate that. You are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good work. What an awesome thing. And so we want you to find freedom in that. Freedom isn't getting to do whatever you want to do. Freedom is getting to do what God designed you to do. And there's freedom in doing what he made you to do. It's a beautiful thing. You know, as a a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, we're going to get to Mark 16, talk about the actual resurrection in a second. But I think it's important for us to make a confession, and we'll throw this up on the screen. 1 Corinthians fifteen seventeen says this, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless. It's useless. Because it's one thing for somebody to die for you. It's another thing for them to die for you, and then rise again and give you their spirit. Right? Because that's what Jesus did. He died on the cross paid the penalty for your sin, but then he rose three days later, securing victory for you, life for you. And then he told the disciples in Acts chapter 1, he said, I'm going to send you my spirit. It always bothered me that when Jesus was leaving the earth, he's like, don't tell anyone. And you're like, wait, what? You're hovering away, (laughs) ascending back to the Father. And we're not supposed to tell anyone, right? At least I didn't have social media back then, because it would have leaked real fast. But the reason was because he was going to send them the Spirit, and there's an amazing scene in Acts chapter 2 of the Spirit coming and dwelling God's people. But it all began in this moment of the resurrection. Of the resurrection. So in Mark chapter 16, I just want to read the story to you. It's just eight verses. But they're the hinge point of history. It's the crooks of everything that has happened in this world. It's the reason that you can find freedom. And don't you just love the details that God gives us? Look at Mark chapter 16, verse 1. It says, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought aromatic spices so that they might go and anoint him. 
And very early on, the first day of the week at sunrise, they went to the tomb. They had been asking each other, who will roll the stone away for us from the entrance to the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled back. Then as they went into the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. Understatement, right? Just put yourself in those shoes. I think a lot of times we read the Bible and we're like, we just, we put it in the Bible category. But these were eyewitness events. It was just like any other history that was written down for your benefit and mine so that we would know what would happen years and years later. These are two women who, uh, by all accounts, their story wouldn't have even counted in their culture. And isn't it just like God, 1 Corinthians one twenty seven, use the weak things of the world to shame the strong. To use the foolish things to shame the wise. These Women would have been discounted, but Jesus counted them. And here's what they say. Here's what the angel says. Don't be alarmed. Verse 6. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is a place where they laid him. There is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples... Check this phrase out. Even Peter. That's going to be important in a minute. You've been to church before. That's why you're laughing. Even Peter. Don't you love how Mark wrote that? (laughs) Mark's throwing a jab. That he is going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. Look at their response. Then they went out and ran from the tomb for terror and bewilderment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. It's fair, right? It's a fair response to the resurrection. But as you think about the resurrection, um, there's a lot of opinions in this world. I want to read you two from people who don't, don't agree with us. These are things that um, people have said regarding the resurrection. And let's, let's be fair. Let's, let's think about it. The late Stephen Hawking, a Cambridge physicist, said this before his death. And uh, just listen to him. Listen to his words. He says, I regard the human brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. Maybe you sit here today and you feel that way. You just can't put your finger on what all this is about. And I would just suggest to you, and I hope to explain to you in a few minutes, that while there may be components of your life that feel like a computer, computers don't love, computers don't hurt, computers don't get hope, computers don't feel fear, and computers can't sit at the feet of a Savior and be transformed. Billions of people transformed at the foot of the cross. These are things that can't be explained by a computer. And frankly, most of us are afraid of the dark. 
aren't we? I mean, it's it's the question that that maybe we ask sometimes. It's what happens when I die? And what, whether you have science figured out or not, it's like where did creation come from? Science tells you a lot and confirms a lot about how creative God is. But you go back far enough and where did everything come from? It takes faith to believe in either one. In either answer, it takes faith to believe. But all the way to your life. And where does your hope come from? And why will you get out of bed tomorrow morning? And why will you live the life that you live? But to go even farther, Richard Dawkins, another fun guy, an outspoken anti-God person and biologist, he says this, if you want to believe in unicorns or tooth fairies, Thor or Yahweh, the onus is on you to say why you believe in it. The onus is not on the rest of us to say why we do not. That's fine. That's fine. I don't fully agree because it takes faith to believe in either. But I understand the sentiment. And I understand why you might be in that place today if you're not following Jesus. I get that. I love how some favorite authors of mine, Ravi Zacharias and Tim Keller, they, they both interact with this idea. And, and here, here's what Ravi Zacharias says first. He, he, responding to that, says, I used to buy into that way of thinking that God is the crazy option. Whereas a fully naturalistic and fully scientifically explainable universe is the sober, sensible, and rational option. Without ever really reasoning it through, I accepted the cultural myth that we used to need God to miraculously explain thunder and lightning, rainbows and shooting stars. But now that we have scientific explanations for these things, we should stop believing in God. Sounds plausible. But listen to this. It says, that's actually not a very good argument. A good engineer doesn't need to keep stepping in to override systems and fix malfunctions. If God is a good engineer, isn't the ability to explain his design in terms of consistently functioning processes exactly what we should expect? That science would actually affirm what we believe about the most creative being in the universe. There's good answers. That's what I'm telling you. And then I love this from Tim Keller. He wrote a whole book on this. You should get it. It's called Making Sense of God. If you're struggling with this at all, it'd be a great place for you to start. But here's what he says. He says, I began this volume assuming that my readers favored a more secular viewpoint than a religious one. If that's your position, you might think that religion is in long-term decline because fewer and fewer people will see or feel the need for it. You also might think that religion is purely a matter of faith rather than reason that secularity is the more rational and scientific view of things and the burden of proof is on believers to prove that god exists he says in the first two chapters of the book i took aim at these views and argued they range from being major oversimplification oversimplifications to grave mistakes 
And then he finished that page this way. He says, in short, we need to ask which view of reality makes the most sense emotionally, culturally, and rationally. I say all that not to convince you. I could never take these few minutes and convince you about everything that there is to know about the universe. I can't do that today. I'm not going to do that today. But I say all that because I want you to know that when you confess Jesus, you're not checking your brain at the door. There are really good answers to all of your questions. Just because this pastor... Or because the person who invited you today can't answer all your questions like that because we're not physicists. Doesn't mean that there's not good answers. The answers are there. The question is, will you open your eyes and see them? However, you're in church today. So you're at least aware that we hold a certain viewpoint. You're aware of that. But if you're struggling with that, I want to encourage you to grab some of those resources. Grab the friend who invited you. Grab one of us. And let's dig into that together because there isn't a more important question you can answer than your eternity. For us, though, that believe in Jesus, that begins with the resurrection. It does. The resurrection is all that we believe summed up in one story. But as you, as you come to the resurrection, there, there's really just three options. You can find yourself in one of three places today. You can believe, first of all, that it's just false. That the resurrection is just some legendary joke. Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. And people, probably the disciples, because they were nuts, made up this wild story to pull off the greatest hoax of all time. The problem with that is it implodes on itself. If these uneducated fishermen had to make up the story, they would have never been able to keep the story. Right? For thousands of years, people have been trying to prove this story wrong. And they've done it unsuccessfully. The second option is that it's fiction. That it's just ancient mythology. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote about the fact that we, in this scenario of life that we find ourselves in, experience what he calls sometimes chronological snobbery. That we, because we have computers and whatever else we have, our cars, our whatever, that we somehow think we're better than previous people. But you just have to look around your world to know that's not true. We might have computers and cars, but we still have slavery. We still have racism. We still have, I mean, you name it. We're a struggling people, aren't we? And as we get better at certain things, it seems that we're getting worse at other things. Like being a good neighbor. Like treating people the way you want to be treated. You tracking with me on that? Just the, you know, the early church embellishing the story of Jesus, or it's like a good fishing story. I caught a fish, it was this big. You know, it was like a like a sunny. But the third option, 
and the one that we take is that it's fact. That it's a real event in history. In fact, that it's the supreme event in history. The New Testament does in fact record the supernatural event of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ accurately. And it is both bodily in which it actually happened and it's permanent. And that's good news. We believe this to be true and there's volumes of research on why it's credible to think it's true. And I encourage you to look at those. encourage you to walk through those. And, you know, one thing that uh, if you want to do it, there's in your worship guide, there's a survey. And uh, we would invite you to come back in the coming weeks and dictate where we're headed. If you grab that survey, you can do it now. Go ahead, grab the survey and a pen. Uh, we want to know where you're at. We want to know what you're thinking about. We want to know what you have questions about. And this is your opportunity to tell us that you can uh, put down some things that you want to hear about. And maybe this is one of them. But we encourage you to do that. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. But I want you to know that option's there. There's many reasons why we can believe in the resurrection, but I think one, in my experience, and I think what most people in this room would say is above them all, is in fact that good news. Our Bible word for good news is gospel, and it means that, it means good news. The gospel is good news because it brings just that, news, news that you have an eternal problem. You know, if you and I are going to get super honest and just strip everything away and really get down to the brass tacks of what it is that human beings are struggling with and searching for, it begins with this recognition that you aren't who you're supposed to be. That every single person in this world, the playing field is leveled because every single one of us is a sinner. And that's offensive and I get it. But here's the reality. People aren't on their own good people. We just aren't. Left to ourselves, we might do some good things, but we aren't good people because even in the good things that we're doing, we're looking for something in return. We rarely, if ever, don't have hidden motives. And that's the best of us. We range all the way to the worst of us and the things that I referenced earlier. Slavery. Some 22 million people in this world are still involved in human slavery and human trafficking. We're not good people. Think about it. Politics aren't delivering from our brokenness. You just look at our last two elections. We were looking for a savior and what we got was a human being with some ideas. And wherever you fall in that, we would all be able to recognize that we've still got problems. Religion isn't solving our problem. In fact, in some ways, it makes it worse. When religion is the focus, sheer goodwill of man isn't. All the philanthropy in the world hasn't solved our biggest problem. Because the truth is all of us range from simple selfishness to pure evil. Left to ourselves, we create our own kingdoms, don't we? 
We create our little kingdom. You know, we typically blame it on Hitler and Castro and Pharaoh and Rome and Babylon and the United States. We typically blame it on that. But look at your own life. We build our own little kingdoms. We put up our house. We put up our fence. We get our dog. We have our kids. And we create our own little kingdom. We have the capacity to do some good things, but we aren't purely good. Look at what Romans chapter 3, the Bible tells us exactly what our problem is. It says there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. Together they have become worthless. There is no one who shows kindness, not even one. Jeremiah said it thousands of years before that. The human mind, other translations say heart, is more deceitful than anything else. It is incurably bad. Who can understand it? Do you ever just watch the news or get on your social media or get on Twitter? Twitter, man. It's a toilet bowl of humanity. All right? You're welcome. And just look at something and look at somebody's position on something and just think to yourself, like, how can a human being arrive at that? Like, how can a human being arrive at that conclusion? Like, how do, how do you get there? We've all had that experience. And then people look at ours and they think the same thing, right? We've got problems. And likely, even if those scriptures offend you, it wouldn't take us long to follow you around. And it wouldn't take you long to follow me around and figure out that it's quite true. That we all have this problem called sin. Our tempers are short with our wives or our husbands. We yell at our kids. Our motives at work might be bad. Or we cheat at work. Or you don't care. And don't you dare cut me off in traffic. (laughs) Fighting words. You might be sitting here thinking, like, Mitch, you're talking about good news, but it all sounds like a lot of bad news. (laughs) I agree. And that's what Good Friday was all about. Jesus coming to pay the price of your sin, of my sin, of your rebellion. You're wanting to do it your own way and my rebellion, my wanting to do it my own way. So where's the good news in Mark 16? Because they walked away terrified still, right? That's what it says. They were bewildered and terrified. Where's the good news in Mark chapter 16? The good news is found in verse 7. Look at verse 7 again. I love this. (laughs) This is the best part of the whole story for me. Because we know God's going to do what God's going to do. But what about us? Where are we in the story of the resurrection? We're right here. It says, but go tell his disciples. And we think about that. We think about everyone in the kingdom of God has, has got this figured out better than I do. And no doubt you're struggling with something on the inside, a secret sin or a temptation, or a spiritual struggle, or maybe even with the existence of God. And we think all these other disciples, they've got it figured out. They, they don't understand what I'm going through. But don't you love the text? Don't you love the Bible? Where it says, all these disciples, go tell all these disciples. Then what is the Bible? It zeroes in and it says, even Peter. Even Peter. I love that detail. Even Peter. You and I are Peter in this story of the resurrection. Peter just came off 
failing Jesus miserably. We started in the Garden of Gethsemane before Jesus was arrested with Peter chopping a guy's ear off and saying, I will die for you. And he proved it, chopped the guy's ear off. But isn't that just like your life and mine? In one moment, things are great and things are awesome and I'm on fire and I'm making it happen. I'm making moves and I'm doing all this. Then what happens? You wake up the next day and with one phone call or with one decision or with one failure, you can go from all these disciples making it happen to Peter, chopping a guy's ear off for Jesus to a little girl looking you in the eye as Jesus was being walked to his crucifixion and saying, hey, you're one of them. You're you're with Jesus. He said, no, I'm not. I'm not with that guy. And three times he denied Christ. He failed Jesus miserably in that moment. And you know what? Maybe you feel like that today. Maybe you feel like that, like, like you're Peter. And isn't it awesome that in this text, Peter needed some hope that first Easter? Because Luke tells us that Peter ran to the tomb when he was told. Because <laughs> he needed some hope. Luke tells us that when the women returned from the tomb to tell others about the resurrection, it says that those disciples believed it was pure nonsense. It's literally what the translation says, that it's pure nonsense. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb and looked in. Why? Because Peter needed some hope. And my guess is that if you're going to be honest with yourself today, whether you've known Jesus for 50 years or whether you've known Jesus for five minutes or whether you don't know Jesus, my guess is that every single one of us in this room right now, every one of us that will listen to this online later, within the sound of my voice, there's something, there's two things that bring all of us together. No matter what your socioeconomic status is, no matter what the color of your skin is, no matter what situation you find in your life, two things bring us together. We're sinners and we need a Savior. See, and Peter is the shining example of that in the fact that he had just failed miserably the guy he had just spent three years with and who had turned his whole life around. And this group of people thinking that this was pure nonsense, Peter needed some hope. So he jumps up and he runs to the tomb. And we need hope. Where are you looking for hope? Maybe your family needs hope. Maybe your situation in homelessness needs hope. Maybe your job needs hope. Maybe your school needs hope. Maybe your relationships need hope. Maybe your marriage needs hope. Maybe your kids, your wayward kid needs hope. We all need hope. We all need hope. Hope keeps us going. But where does hope come from? Where can you find it? Peter found it in an empty tomb. And I want to suggest that you can find it in an empty tomb. But why is that? What did that empty tomb prove? What did that empty tomb say about the events that had just happened before that? See, because... 
the empty tomb is the celebration of the crucified Savior, isn't it? That empty tomb symbolized and proves that there's power in the blood of Jesus. That empty tomb proves that there's freedom in Jesus. Hundreds of years before the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, there was a prophet named Isaiah. And he prophesied that when Jesus would come and pay the price for your sin and for mine, that there were four things that were going to take place in his body and to his body that have direct effect on you right now. See, a lot of times we, we think about Romans 6.23, right? Because Romans 6.23 says the payment of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Totally true. You today, right now, can forever settle your eternity with Jesus. It can be settled, secure. The Bible says no one the Father has given to Jesus can be plucked out of his hand. You today can have your eternity settled forever. And I hope you'll do that. But while eternity is true, you might feel like I do. What do I do now? I need freedom now. I'm struggling with sin now. I'm struggling with my faith now. What does Jesus have for me now? I'm glad you asked. Isaiah 53, 5 says this. I love this. Think, think deeply about this. Jesus was wounded because of our rebellious deeds. He was crushed because of our sin. He endured punishment that made us well. Some translators call that peace. His punishment brought us peace. Because of his wounds, we have all been healed. If you want to write something down today, I would encourage you to write these next four things down and meditate on them this week. See, because in that, there's hope for you. There's freedom for you in four areas of your life because Jesus went to the cross and paid the penalty for your sin. The resurrection symbolizes the victory That there's power in the blood. First of all, number one, the whip. Think about that. It wasn't just a whip like, you know, Indiana Jones where he's running around going, woo, right? Like, yeehaw. Like, it wasn't like that. It was actually a cat of nine tails and it would be this big, thick handle with leather straps coming off of it, and they would they would fasten in those leather straps. They would they would fasten in bone from animals and and sharp glass and whatever they could that would sink into the flesh of that person. And then they would tie that person to a post like this, and they would secure them there. And then thirty nine times, which is significant, you should you can Google that later. And there's, there's some incredible things about that. But 39 times they would take this leather strap and they would dip it in water so that the ends were wet and soaked so that you ever slap like a wet towel on something and it just kind of 
stays there. Well, they would take that cat of nine tails and right across the shoulder muscles of Jesus as he was fastened there for you. The Bible says for you. And they would smack him right across here and it would sink in. And then they would pull down just like a wet towel. And it would bring parts of Jesus with him. You see, because that whip and those wounds brought freedom in your body. Think about that. He was wounded. Why? The specific wounds that were created by that whip, the Bible says, were for your and my rebellious deeds. That every time that I choose to sin, it was the whip on the back of Jesus. The wounds that Jesus took for you. For your rebellious deeds. For my rebellious deeds. The second thing that the text mentions is the thorns. The thorns. Look at this. It says he endured punishment that made us well. What was the only, what was the only part of that crucifixion process that stayed? It was the crown of thorns, right? The whipping 39 times and it stopped. He was wounded for your rebellious deeds, your transgressions. But then they put this crown of thorns on and they pushed it into his head. And that stayed there. He endured in his head what would eventually bring you freedom in your mind. Think about that. Think about that. It says he endured punishment that made you well. Where's the first place that you lose peace in your life? Where is it? It's in your mind. The first thing to go is the peace that I have in my mind. But the Bible says that there is a peace that passes all understanding. And it's available to you because he endured punishment that brought you peace, that made or can make you well. The third was the nails. The nails. Listen to this. Because of his wounds, you have been healed. Everywhere that you've gone, everything that you've done, everything that you will do that isn't in line with the character of God is sin. And he had nails put in his hands to bring you freedom in your hands. What are you, what are you holding on to today? That's keeping you from freedom. I think every single one of us, we've got clenched hands on something or some issue that's keeping us from the freedom that God secured for us. The Bible says that because of his wounds, we've been healed. The Bible says in James chapter 5 that it's in the presence of God's people. It's in the confession in God's in front of God's people with God's people that you can find healing. We want you to be free today. And then maybe the most significant is the fourth the spear 
uh, if you're unfamiliar with what the crucifixion process was, is they would nail Jesus to the cross and his, his hands and then his feet would be crossed and the nails would go through and you would have to push yourself up to breathe. Otherwise you would sink down and that was why they did the 39 lashes across your shoulder muscles because you would need those to pull up and breathe. And so as Jesus was, was there, uh, you would think, and it was true, that there was a lot of ways that he could have died, right? Blood loss, trauma, uh, there was a lot. I'm not a doctor. I've got a few in here. I'm sure they could, they could let you know. It's a big list. But it isn't, isn't it amazing that the Bible says that there was this one specific thing that crushed him. It says he was crushed because of your sin. He's crushed because of my sin. So let that sink in. But what was it that the spear crushed? What was it that killed Jesus? The Bible says that the spear, they would take it up under the ribs, and they would go up into the heart. Jesus literally died of a broken heart. Just process that. For you and for me. He he had you and he had me in mind two thousand years ago. Nailed to that cross. And the Bible says in John, the Gospel of John, that what he cried out is, It is finished. What was finished? My freedom. Your freedom. What is it that you're holding on to that's keeping you from freedom? You aren't at church today by accident. You're here on divine appointment. And you need to know what the Bible says in Galatians chapter 6. It's for freedom that Christ came and set you free. And I want to just give you the opportunity. And we aren't going to do anything to embarrass you. But I don't think that in a room of this size that we've all got it figured out. I'm going to have the band come back up. They're going to lead us in a song about Jesus' resurrection and about the life that Jesus secured for you. But listen, in the, in the movement and in the hustle, I want to make sure that you have the time in the space in this moment during this song to take care of what you need to take care of. And that goes for everybody in this room. If you don't know Jesus, if, if Christ has not been a part of your life, I want to invite you to confess Jesus. On that survey, there's a little spot down at the bottom for you to take your next step in that spiritual journey that I talked about. Maybe you need to sign up for Growth Track today. And discover what this church is all about. And then discover what God made you for. We want to help you do that. We want to help you know uh, why did God give you the personality he gave you? Why did God give you the desires that he gave you in your heart? We believe it's through a spiritual gift. That there's actually something that God wants to take and do in your life. And that you won't find freedom until you pursue exactly what it is that God made you for. And then the step three of our growth track is simply how we as a church want to help you put that into practice.
it's an awesome thing. It's just a three-week thing, and it'll, it'll, it'll change your life. But if you don't know Christ today, I wouldn't be doing my job. I wouldn't be doing my assignment given to me by God than to give you an opportunity to confess Christ. It's so simple. It's so simple. It almost seems like it can't be real, but it is. See, Jesus went to the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. And that's the first thing. You have to confess that. You have to, you have to bow the knee to that. That you can't secure for yourself what you've been looking for. That it's going to take something outside of you to satisfy that hole in your heart on the inside of you. See, Jesus came to do for you what you can't do for yourself. And that's the gospel. That's the good news that while every other religion in the world says that you have to rise to the occasion, that you have to step up to the plate, that you have to secure what's yours, the God of the Bible looked down on you and saw you in your condition, saw me in my condition and said they can't. And so he sent his son. That's the difference between the Bible and every other religion. And I want to invite you into that freedom. I want to invite you into that place. The Bible says it's as simple as confessing that Jesus is Lord. That's the hardest part, right? It's the Holy Spirit drawing you to himself right now. The hardest part is confessing that Jesus is Lord of your life, that you're not. But let's be honest. You've made a mess of being Lord of your life. I've made a mess of being Lord of my life. And every problem that I have today... Even though I'm a follower of Jesus, every problem I have right now is because I've decided to be Lord of that area of my life. You can be set free from that today. There can be something outside of you that can make things right on the inside of you. You can have that peace that passes all understanding. It's confessing that Jesus is Lord. And then the second part of that the Bible says is you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that crushed, broken heart that God had was for this. That you might believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead. It's totally credible. Historically, scientifically, can't be explained. But it was written down so that you might have life. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it for So, in in a minute, I'll come up and I'll walk you through that survey. But in this moment, as you listen to these words, as we're led through that, I want you to stand with me. Go ahead. And I just want to ask you to, wherever you are in this journey of finding freedom, of this spiritual journey, I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit. Just say it to Him in your heart. Holy Spirit, would you show me right now as we sing what my next step is?